Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am playing a homebrew adventure in the system of Numenera by Monty Cook Games. I'm a huge fan of Numenera. I've been now running this for quite a few months now, and we are closing in on the end. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want access to all kinds of exclusive adventures, exclusive material to help you run your role-playing games, video previews, a monthly Q&A thread, and access to a dedicated Discord channel, you can do so by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. The link is in the show notes below. And to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for helping me put on shows like this. I'm actually not having a Numenera game today. My my group got my my game got canceled. We had three people that are out, and I said with three people out, and I think I think actually a fourth is probably out as well. I think we have one person that's going to be out for a little bit. So that's just really not enough, especially as we're closing in on the end of the campaign. So we are taking a week off. However, that gives me a week to do a little bit of extra prep. And I have some things I definitely want to work on. I have some parts of this campaign that I definitely want to work on. But we're going to start by looking at what happened last week. So last week, the characters, I think they had to make... Oh, yeah, we had some big events that went on. Let's go in my old session notes. I think I already archived the session notes. That was 21 August. World War. So this was definitely a session. And my Numenera, game, my Numenera game, more than any of the other RPGs I think I've ever run, has had more big scope and big scale things happen than any other game I've run. I mean, I guess I had one where the entire fate of the multiverse was in play. So that, that certainly was a big one. That was a fourth edition campaign where really you know, multiverse level stuff, collapse of the multiverse. This one's pretty close, though. In this case, they are making decisions that not only are going to affect the entire future of Earth, but also other worlds. But in the last session, it was really about Earth. And it was who... They, they, they had a... They, they got Bodrov back where they wanted. They made the decision to let the Glistening Army, this group of... I think it's about... 8,000 soldiers that are able to shift in and out of the data sphere so they can kind of teleport wherever you want them, that they were going to send the Glistening Army after the remainder of the Fourth Empire's hold on the rest of Earth, two-thirds of, two of Earth. And they made that choice. They knew they were going to lose soldiers in the process. They knew that they were going to, that it was, a, it was kind of a big deal. They knew that they were going to drop the, 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 the eyes, these huge planet, not planet busters, but like giant rods on different facilities to blow them up. So they were hitting everywhere on the planet, on the surface of the planet. The, the Fourth Emperor still has a hold underneath it still has a hold under the under the surface it's still coming but they were able in a in a pretty short amount of time about a month in game and a you know half hour 45 minutes of the game itself deciding the fate getting rid of the fourth empire like shattering the back of the fourth empire on the planet really really awesome and then so they did that we had a downtime where they kind of had different characters kind of did different things that was really interesting it was really interesting to see like how the characters one of the characters is kind of losing it he's kind of you know getting getting more and more disturbed by all the things that are going on the big scope and big scale of things that are going on they got to decide what they want to do for the month some of them went off with the glistening army and fought with them and that was really cool they said we want to be down there with them we're not going to we're not going to sit back here and watch them die on a board we're going to be out there cracking cracking heralds like they are and they did and that was really neat they sent they did make the decision to let the eyes of the fourth empire these these tungsten rod satellites up above that they were going to infect them with the hex a super sentient very powerful virus that actually got rid of the fourth empire the first time first time they said well they came to the conclusion that i think we're already in trouble 
So we're going to go ahead and use them. So they did. And then they, so they made those big choices and a lot of the things, a month passed, the glistening army busted the heralds. They used the quad core spears and the hex spears. The herald busters went after them. They did all of these things. They got rid of them. And I read this big stat at the end that, you know, 1,438 members of the glistening army were killed. There were 830 civilian casualties, which is amazingly low given what they did. And total or goalie casualties, which are these like synthetic robot people that the fourth empire uses was 1,283,692. That was fun. And the total time of the war was 27 days. They had a 27 day world war and the entire fourth empire's hold on the surface of earth was removed. So during that month, Cecilia with a heavy heart talked to the last member of her race, the Colraths and looked them in the eyes and apologized to a 12 year old boy who is now stuck being a 12 year old maybe forever. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is great. And the father was like, I want to thank you. You saved our people. And the mother was like, you have doomed us. So it's a really kind of interesting thing. So the situation here is Cecilia is a member of this like insectoid bee-like race that own, that dies at age 40. They always die at age 40. And turns out that was engineered by the fourth empire. But she figured out how to use this crystalline structure that could kind of encompass their entire bodies and turn them into crystalline forms that could live forever. That even if they're shattered into a million pieces, one of those pieces will regrow into their original form with all their memories and everything like that, which means they could potentially live till the heat death of the universe. And she was like, the problem is it will freeze you as you are now, which means children will be frozen as children for their whole lives. What will, for, for, for eternity, what will that mean? Well, to the children, they don't even recognize what's going on yet, but she does. And some of the adults do. And so it was interesting that she had this conversation with these three people that all had these different points of view. And she was like, yeah, I know it's going to be serious, but she, you know, player is really into it. Nakia met with her mom and refers to now has a rifle that he refers to as Becky. And everyone's like, you know, that's a little creepy. That's a little weird. And he's like, you know, I just, me and Becky are, you know, we're going to solve this problem. Samji and, and Baiko both went to be with the glistening army. They both fought side by side and broke the, helped break the sieges of a bunch of different places. So that was really neat. Then they returned to Balarod and they kind of got ready and they went into the Coral Cathedral. They went into the deep where they met the octopi of the Coral Cathedral and talked to them and learned about the shield below and learned about the, 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 in order to assault the drowned city of Clay, they're going to need to have their soldiers with them. Those remaining 6,000 soldiers are going to have to help them break this so they can actually get inside and face the Fourth Empire. And they heard about the shield below, and the next session is going to be them infiltrating the, the shield below. The shield below is a big facility, an underwater facility, that is able to block the data sphere of the lower part of the ocean from the surface, which means they don't have any ability to kind of easily transfer themselves or their friends or even get communicate with the rest of the world. They don't, all of that's cut off while they're underwater. The, 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 the octopi of the quiet empire does not care, but they do. So, you know, the five of them, four, five, six of them are not going to be able to do this on their own. They definitely need that connection, which means they have to go into the shield below this facility that's blocking the data sphere and break it. And that way they can have their soldiers. And then we go to the final battle. So that is where things kind of stand now. We can look through the secrets. Hex is a sentient virus, originally a nanite made by the fourth empire to be universal. I don't really think I got to that. The Hex cannot talk over the connection between the eyes and the rest of the world. We definitely had that. The fourth empire is dedicated communication paths that use outside technology. Yep, we talked about that. The Hex released into the outside can't talk to the Hex here in the world. I don't think they know about that. The Hex can disable its sentience once it's served its purpose. That has not come about. Drowned City of Klee is one of the clay, is one of the oldest standing cities in the planet dating back millions of years. It is the original throne of the fourth empire. That one did come out. The shield below 
uh, is a data sphere blocking Numenera separates the data sphere of the surface with the data. They did learn that one simply cannot data cast into clay or even into the deep while this connection is up. They did do that. Shield below is an ancient Numenera created by the fourth empire as a safeguard. It must be destroyed. Yes, that's right. The same secret. Fourth empire's armies underwater known as clayites. They resemble spiders and crustaceans and weirder shapes. There are hundreds of them protecting the temple of the fourth empire. Yes. Deep in an inverted ziggurat in the center of clay is the throne, a massive portal to the outside, which the clayite nanos from which the dra- the clayite nanos draw their empire of the world. I don't think they got that far. I'm not sure. I think they might have learned that. So a good deal of secrets were were passed along in that session note. So we are going to create a new session generating template and let's see i need a calendar because what is what is next what is next uh, sunday because we're not running it this sunday so the fourth fourth of september for my campaign planning i am using a tool known as notion an online tool known as notion i love notion to death if you want to learn about about notion and how i'm using it you can learn all about it in the show notes below i don't think i have to go through all of the full steps of prep today i'm going to focus on one part because i'm not running a game today we're just going to start maybe we'll fill out more but we're going to start by looking at fantastic locations in particular the shield below because there's the shield below i think the way if i think about the scenes that we're going to run it's going to be i don't i don't i'm not going to worry about the strong start till next week i don't think i think next week is when i'm going to do the rest of the normal prep but i know that there's going to be like leaving leaving the coral cathedral infiltrating the shield below staging the final battle infiltrating the drowned city of clay and then face off against the fourth empire the the fourth emperor i think that is pretty much the end of this campaign i think that that's what we're aiming for so when i think about what the rest of this looks like as we're closing in on the end we are they're going to leave the coral cathedral probably there'll be some kind of strong start for leaving the coral cathedral they will get in they will choose how they're going to infiltrate the shield below we're going to we're going to learn more about that today they're going to go in and crawl through this it's a dungeon right we're going to have the dungeon that they're going to crawl through they're going to break the shield below so that they can bring in all of their assets from the data sphere and from from up 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 above on the surface that they need stage their final battle which is going to be huge the invasion of clay the invasion of the drowned city of clay they're going to infiltrate their their group is going to infiltrate the drowned city of clay and face off against the fourth empire and that is going to be and then we'll do like one year later we'll do our final montage that's really the end of the campaign i think it could take up to so i don't think we want to have the dungeon crawl of the shield below take more than two sessions i think we will one way or the other we're going to we're going to run that over probably two sessions and then I think we'll have the invasion might be a session and then the final battle will be a session. So I expect to have about four sessions left in this campaign. I think we're closing in on four sessions. If I had to guess, I think the right pacing for this would be for four more sessions. And that I think that makes the most sense. I think that that I think that feels like that feels right for this rest of this campaign. I'm, I'm very excited about it. And one of the so I had an interesting thing. One of the patron questions today for the Lazy d Talk Show, asked about how people could finish campaigns. That they, they, you know, I think the, the, the person who talked about it said, you know, I've noticed that like you, you finish campaigns a lot and they seem like they have really good endings. I'm like, yeah, I do. He goes like, 
I've never had one that ran well. And I, and, and I don't know anybody else who's ever had a campaign that ended in a good spot, that ended as a, in a good conclusion. They usually end for, you know, they, the groups break up or people leave or whatever. How do you manage it? And I was like, is that really special? And I did a poll and it turns out that like half of the people who polled, it was like 15, I don't know, it was, it was a lot of people, 1,500 people or something like that said that they don't get to conclusions, that they don't get to meaningful conclusions to their game, that they rarely, rarely or almost never, I think half of people is rarely or almost never reach a good conclusion. And that's sad. So I, I'm going to talk about it more there, but like what, how do we get to a good conclusion? I think part of it is like being willing to conclude. It's probably a piece knowing like, okay, I've got four sessions left. This is going to run in the four sessions. This is how it's going to run. Like narrowing that yam, you know, where you got this big wide open thing where all this kind of stuff can happen. And boy, did a lot of stuff happen in this campaign, crazy stuff that nobody, but now it's like, okay, that's fine. But we're all going to this conclusion and I'm starting to railroad it a little bit. Right? It's going to be, you're going to do the this part you can finish that this is going to happen then you're going here and that's going to happen one year later which i think is the really exciting part is i think they all want to fight the fourth emperor i think there might be some stuff that happens there that i don't know about but i think we i know what the big scenes are going to be i don't know how they're going to play out i think i know how some of them are going to play out i don't know what the big scene i don't know how the big scene is going to play out but i know what they will be i know they're going to face off against the fourth emperor maybe they find some way to cheat death and they don't have to actually fight him and they still beat him but they're probably going to beat him and they're probably going to beat him back into the other world and then they're going to have some hard choices and i don't know what the answers to those choices are and then i'm going to open it up and the and the players take over the game and in that one year later, they get to decide everything that happens. And that is where I get to sit back and watch the game explode out in ways I never thought of before. And that is the end of the game. And it is almost always really, really, I don't think it's ever not been really, really awesome. So I'm really looking forward to that. When you're coming to the end of a game, one of the greatest ways to make the conclusion of your game really cool is to finish up the campaign and then ask the players to describe where their characters are one year later. Where did their characters go? What did they do? What happens to them? And by at this point, it's really great for a GM because you've already finished the campaign. You've done everything you need to do. You don't have to worry about where the campaign goes after this because it's done. You're all, you're all finished. So they can say anything they want. And the players are able to come up with tremendous ways to evolve the story of the game right at the end of the game. And they get to do it on their terms and in their direction. You're really giving them. The easiest way to give them what they want is hand them the universe and let them choose what to do with it. And it really really comes up with wonderful, wonderful story ideas. So when you're thinking about, when you're getting close to the end of your campaign, talk to your players, let them know that one of the things, assuming that they survive their fight against the big bad in the end, assuming that they're going to survive the final battle, is to let them know that at that point, you're going to ask them, where do their characters go one year later? One year after the end of the campaign, where do their characters end up? And at the end of the game, run that scene, let each of the players talk about where their characters go, and you get to just sit back and really enjoy where their story goes. It's a trick that I've been using now for a while, and I've never been disappointed. So try that out. So that is where the scenes are. I'm not going to worry about secrets and clues today. I'm really, or anything else. We're going we're gonna to figure out, we're going to figure all that out next week. But what I am going to do is look at the shield below itself. I, I did something this morning. I did a little homework for the show today. I knew I wanted to use this map. I really liked it, but I'm like, boy, it's really big. And how are we going to fill this out? And that's why I don't mind having an entire prep session where I could just worry about this, although we're 20 minutes in, but I could just worry about this. But what I did do is I opened it up. Let's see. Let's view the original. I used a plugin for Google Chrome called Annotator, called Z, Z Annotator? What is it called? Zoho Annotator. 
look it up. So Zoho Annotator is a free Chrome plugin that lets you annotate images. And I grabbed the shield below and I threw little annotations on it. It came out okay. It's a little weird. It, it's definitely readable. And I think that it definitely, but you can see like that 41 in the upper left corner. There used to be an outline. I don't know where the outline went. Somewhere when I saved this, the outline went away. It looked really good in Zoho Annotator. It did not look good when I exported it. But guess what? I don't care because this isn't for anybody but me. I'm not putting this in some kind of published work where it really needs to look good. This is just enough for me to get my hands around the situation. In fact, annotating the image at all probably was more than I, probably more than I needed to do. Which gets to another tip. I'm going to give you another, another, another tip to grow on. Which is you don't, when you're running, when you're prepping your game, you don't have to prep it like you're going to publish it for a published setting. It's very easy when we're, when we're looking at our published works to say, when we look at the products that we buy, to look at them and go like, oh, wow, this is really great. This is a good example of how I should do it. So we write detailed room descriptions and we write read aloud text and we write you know, descriptions of every single room. And we write it as though we're going to take our notes and hand it to another DM. But you're not. Generally speaking, those notes are just for you, which means they can be as dirty and as nasty and as incomplete and scratches with pencils and just ugly as you need it to be. That speed is more important. Getting your prep done and getting the things you need to help you is done. You can write down just a word or two. You don't have to write down entire bits of flavor text because you're, you're you. You already know what you're going to do there. A lot of times the prep that we're doing is just to help us internalize what we're going to run in our game. There are people definitely who write out their prep notes and then they don't even look at them. They don't even use them during the game. So when you're doing your prep notes, don't write it like you're writing a published adventure. Write it like you just need to remind yourself of the things that are important to remind. Maybe all you need are NPC names. Maybe like you already know everything else, but the only thing you can't remember are the names of NPCs. Well, then that's all you have to write down. Sometimes it's helpful to have a reference, but you can use incomplete sentences. Don't bother with punctuation. Make it as ugly as you want because it's just for you. It's not for anybody else. And by giving yourself that freedom to do it, like just down and dirty and not have to worry about it and not making it clean and not making it pristine gives you a lot of freedom to get your notes done and to get your prep done and get it done in a faster amount of time. So I annotated this whole thing, 43 chambers on this big ass map. And I don't know, I'm trying to think about like, do I want to, like I just yeah, gave my thing about, hey, you don't have to fill out every single one of these rooms because I don't even know what direction they're coming from. So I wonder, if I, I wonder if I have to fill out each of these rooms or not. At first, like there's 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 a drive for me to want to kind of go down this list and say one is the main entry, two is like oh I don't know what's going on in room two. But the reality is they'll probably come in like through the back through room twenty two, and and what does that you know what does that mean right what what does that fill out so. Could I probably over the next 35 minutes fill out every one of these chambers? Maybe. Would it be useful? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's certainly not lazy to fill out these rooms, but boy, there's a lot of rooms. I think what we're going to do is so, you know, we'll do like map key. But I think we're going to just say like generally speaking, this is probably more useful. General what traits general things general things it's my notes i can write what i want so some of the general things that we want is like what what is this place so it is a shield generator it's a big old shield generator 
for blocking out the data sphere. Cool. So that's what it's for. It's millions of years old, which means it's going to have lots of like algae and stuff. We know that it's occupied by the, the, the cleites, particularly nanos, right? And data sphere cleites. So this gives us, we're, we're, what we're doing is we're thinking, instead of thinking about it room by room, we're thinking about it in general. We're, we're getting ideas about what this place is and what kind of stuff might be here instead of worrying about what's in every room. I did go through the trouble of annotating every room, but I really wonder whether that was a, a useful exercise or not. I, even when I was doing it, I was like, I don't know if I need this because it's over prep, right? That's way more prep than I needed to do. But there's part of me that's like, there's rooms. They should have things in them. What if the character goes into a room? How do I know what's there? Now, one of the things that I did, and boy, this gets some controversy, this idea of like the quantum, this is like, like a quantum ogre situation, the quantum, the quantum dungeon room is I can write down the kinds of rooms that would be in this place. And then I get to pick, just like secrets and clues, I get to pick which room features I'm gonna drop into any given chamber, given the room that they go into. And the, the advantage of that is I kinda don't care what path they take on this map. The map is still solid. They still have directions they can go and things like that. But I get to decide what are the kinds of things that I'm gonna put in any given chamber. And the prep that I do is making a list of those kinds of things. So instead of filling out 43 rooms worth of detail, when they're only gonna go through 12, maybe, and I don't know which 12, I can come up with 12 or 15 different potential room things that they might find, features that they might find, and then drop those in when it feels right. And I might look at the rooms, I've got the map in front of me, so I can look at the rooms and say to myself, okay, I get, like, I probably want some kind of crazy altar-like thing because there's a few chambers on here that have crazy altar-like things. I know what chamber 18 is going to be because that's like the central thing. I have an idea for what I want that to look like. But there's lots of like side chambers. There's, there's lots of natural chambers in here. So what kind of stuff might they find in a natural chamber? And it could be like the birthing ground of some kind of half-cybernetic underwater creature. It could be heavy water. I like the idea that like chamber 21 there has a pool in it. And it's like, that's because it's not, the, the map doesn't expect that you're completely submerged. Some of it might have like this heavy water that like sunk down to the bottom, right? That works. Yeah. NPL illustrations. What about cultists? You could just put cultists. Yeah. Cultists of the fourth empire. That's pretty much what it is. That's what Cleites are. Kind of cultists of the fourth empire. So yeah. So there's lots of things, but I think like coming up with like 10 different sort of things that they might find in here is probably enough. It's probably enough for a session because it's probably going to take them a couple sessions to crawl through this place. So it's probably enough for a session. I can also, it also gets me thinking about like, how does this place work? You know, how does this, how does this whole place operate? And that can work. Dirk Vallada says, I do a five room dungeon. John four and I actually talked about this. We talked about the idea of the five room dungeon and how you can take the five room dungeon. And we, we did this in a, a video series that we did. You can actually find, I'll, I'll link to it. We did a series of four videos. The first video you can just watch for free. It's available right on YouTube. I'll link to it in the show notes below. The second video, you have to subscribe to both of our newsletters. Again, both free. You put your email address in, you join both of our email newsletters. Both of us run really good email newsletters. So I don't know why you wouldn't do this anyway, but you'd want to. But for that, you get another video, a second video. 
Then you get a third video for joining the Sly Flourish Patreon, and you get a fourth video by joining the John 4 Patreon. So if you join both of our Patreons, and we both run reasonably priced Patreons, both of us, I think, are running a $2 Patreon, you can get all access to all four videos. And one of the things we talked about was how to apply the five-room dungeon model to a flexible inspirational environment and the idea that i was we were we were kind of noodling through is imagine if you had a string and this string had five knots in it and each knot is sort of a chamber that you're going to run you can actually take that string and bend it around and move it and place it in different places of your map so whatever direction they're taking on their map they still have these five room these five different rooms with these sort of themes and feelings and beats that exist whatever direction they take now i hang on a little looser i don't i don't run a strict sort of five room idea because i also like to be i like to i like to improvise the beats of the game because i don't know how it's going to feel when i'm running it i don't know what the game is going to feel like i don't know if one battle is going to be really boring and take a long time when i thought it was going to be quick and easy i don't know if a scene that goes with an npc is going to be really enjoyable or it turns out they get into a fight instead so because i don't know what's going to happen in the scenes i want to have the tools that i need to be able to improvise what the next scenes feel like i don't i don't plan out the feelings of my rooms those happen as i as i run them so i hang on with a looser grip than a strict five room idea but the, the principles are there, which is if you look at the five room dungeon model of John four, I'll link to that in the show notes below. I'm going to have to, I got so much stuff in the show notes. I hope it's all there, but there's lots of good stuff. I, I believe strongly in the principles of how John four talks about the five room dungeon, that you have these different chambers with these different sorts of challenges, different sort of beats, combat, meeting NPCs, handling a, a puzzle, having a big climax, having this sort of the, the, the conclusion. I believe in all of that. I just don't know where I'm going to run that stuff. And I don't know that I can plan that out ahead of time. So instead, I try to give myself the tools that I need when I'm running my game to be able to come up with that model while I'm playing it, while I'm running it, while I'm seeing and talking to players and how I get a feeling for, you know, even how am I enjoying it? So that model works really well. But it's but but the way I run it is I like to build the five room dungeon while I'm playing the game. And instead, I want to give myself all the material I need to be able to do that. So we have some general slips occupied by clayites, particularly nanos and data sphere clayites. So what other potential, let's see, chamber features. So one is like an altar, but it's an altar to who? So it's obvious to have like the altar of the fourth emperor, but what if there was a being that I want to get like right out of what's the, like that old, like metropolis, right? The old science fiction that there's like this, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching Star Trek, first contact and i love the idea of the the borg collective lady right the the woman that represents the entire collective of the borg was this really at first i was like it doesn't make any sense but then i was like wait a minute that's really cool she speaks for the entire collective so what if there was like a priestess of the fourth empire i'll have to give her a cool name let's go to my name go to my quick links go to find a, a name for her francesca that doesn't make any sense audrey no Selfa, and she is the first herald. Altar to Selfa, the first herald, priestess, high priestess of the fourth, of the original fourth empire. Yeah, sort of like the mouth of Sauron. Right, exactly. That that here is this. Oops, my my, my screen can't see what I'm typing. The here is this being, and maybe this is sort of a boss. Maybe she's a boss to this place. Right, and we can have self. So now we got a, a Selfa, cool name. Selfa sounds kind of. I think it's okay. Well, let's make a new page for her. Selfa, the first. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try again. 
New page in Numenera database. Click on it and we say the first herald of the fourth empire. And we can tag her as an NPC. We will probably fill her out with, let's see, I think we go to Google, Borg Collective Lady. That's pretty cool. The Borg Queen, copy that image. That's my inspiration. Yeah, cool. Half cybernetic, half person. You know, probably, she. would she even be? I don't know. She'd be aquatic. I don't think she would be humanoid. So I'm not sure that that's a good... I don't think that's a good representation. Is there, what would you do? Cybernetic octopus. Is there a cool, like, I kind of like that. What's that? Except it's got like a big bubble head. That's pretty cool. I like that better, right? That, that, you know, that, that's cooler. So that's Selfa. So we have, we have an altar to Selfa. Somewhere we're putting an altar to Selfa. What other, uh, blow this up. What other kinds of things do we have here? So we have like a chamber of heavy water, highly radioactive runoff, million year runoff from the power source of the shield. Cool. So we have that for some of these chambers. I'm kind of going from right to left because I have a feeling that they'll probably, oh, they almost, whenever, and this is something I'm finding. If you ever say like, do you want to go in the front door or do you want to find the secret entrance in the back? It was like, oh, secret entrance in the back. They almost always go in the back. So you're still giving it an option, but you have a tendency to know which direction they're going to go because players tend to like to go through the back door. They don't want to, they don't want to go through kicking in the front door. doesn't mean they won't. So I have that altar. That's like, like if you look at chamber 27 there on the map, you can see that, that that looks like it would definitely have an altar. I definitely need something to fill out various hallways. There's a lot of different hallways. There's a lot of like alcoves. So what kinds of things, if you had this like million year, so you could have like an armory, ancient armory of humanoid and non-humanoid weaponry of the Cleites. So, they, you know, having an ancient armory, I think, makes sense. But so, so if there are alcoves, you got hallways that have alcoves in there. Did the Fourth Empire, probably like examples of the races the Fourth Empire created, including the bee people, who I never remember, early Orgolians, maybe even humans and aquatic creatures. So that, that can work. You know, I think that any given hallway that they're walking in might have examples of the kinds of creatures that they that the Fourth Empire has been has been building or making or creating or modifying. Maybe a hex, right? A representation of a hex humanoid. That would be pretty cool. Maybe an early rendition of a gleaming soldier. That could be pretty cool. You could, you could tie in. When we get our secrets and clues as well, the secrets can also help kind of dictate what sorts of things the characters might find in any given chamber. So that fills out, uh, that, that fills out like hallways and things like that, I think. We have like an armory. We have an observatory. If you look at chamber 18, the southern, I didn't, I didn't annotate it. The southern side of chamber 18 in the center has an observatory for Cleite Nano observers, scientists. 
So they're watching the they're they're running and watching the engine, and the observatory and control and control room, right? And that would be sort of like the NASA headquarters where they're just watching the shield and making it run. The shield itself, I think, looks like one of those great big Superman original Superman movie spinning, or I guess like the it looks like the machine from oh Contact first, yeah Contact the movie Contact. Looks like the machine from Contact. A few or some, let's see, machine. Yeah, it looks like that. All right, big, huge spinning, big, huge spinning thing, multiple rings spinning around, creating this huge energy wave that sort of goes out. I think that that, I think that will work really well. So we know what the shield room looks like. What other, as I, as I peer around, what other, so there could be like a brain trust, right? A chamber containing the brain trust of the shield, uh, of, of the shield below, then that might be Seltha, right? So she has a chamber and that might be, if you look at, if you look at like chamber 43 in the corner, that chamber might be, that might be where Seltha exists. And I think a potential way to run this. So another, another trick, I've talked about movable keys before and movable keys is another really, really useful object for, for pacing in um, an RPG. And it's, it's interesting, you know, a little bit of interesting kind of game philosophy here. I, you can, you can clearly tell by the way I'm talking about how I'm prepping my game and probably by my notes that I, I am perfectly happy. I don't think anything is true until the characters look at it. I don't think anything happens until the characters look at it. The world is a big, fuzzy, malleable pile of weird ethereal goo until the characters appear and look at it. And then it becomes something solid and real. And that's where the game becomes real. That's where the world becomes real. I know that there are other GMs who do not believe in that philosophy. I think they believe that, no, once you sat down and prepped something, once you filled it out, it's real, that's real. And then the characters go through it. And if something bad happens, something bad happens. And if something's good happens, something good happens. But I'm not changing it. And that gets in like, I, you know, I, I, I remember I had a comment on YouTube a, a few weeks ago that was like, this sounds like you're proposing the, the quantum ogre. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I realized like, I think they meant that as a pejorative. Like, I think they meant that as a bad thing. And I know I read the original articles about the quantum ogre, and I think the original articles about the quantum ogre describe it as a bad thing. The quantum ogre idea, by the way, is a very simple idea that if the characters have two paths, they can take two roads. Maybe they have one road that goes to the city that's well-trod, and maybe they have a path that goes through the woods, but you prepped an ogre encounter. So whatever path they take, they're still facing an ogre. And that's the idea of the quantum ogre. And that's considered like laziness. It's considered to be, it, it's considered to sort of, take away the agency of the players, even though they don't know their agency has been taken away. Because if it's revealed to them, if it becomes clear to the players that whatever direction they take, they would have faced an ogre, the game, the world isn't going to feel that real to them. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think players can recognize, like DMs can recognize that the world becomes real when they see it. And an ogre battle on a big highway might not be the same as an ogre battle in the woods. You still can change it. And I don't think... I think it is probably not great to build out an entire detailed encounter that goes that happens no matter where they go because the players will know that. But the idea of giving yourself material to be able to build the game, it's sort of like, well, the ogre didn't exist until you thought him up in the first time. Just don't think him up until the game happens. That's that's part of the idea. Like at some point it turned in from an idea into part of a game. And some people I think think that that should happen during prep. And I think, no, that might happen during the game. But you can tell from my philosophy that like I'm 
believe heavily in this idea of like prepping the things we need to be able to let the game grow when we're running it, not while we're doing our prep. And that's cool. So, and that might be everybody's style. People, people, I, I definitely have seen criticism of it. And that's cool. If it's not for you, it's not for you. I'm not saying your way is wrong. Just like you can't say my way is wrong. Cause I know it works. Like I'm running it. I know it works for me. I know I'm not saying, I'm not saying that therefore it should work for everybody. I know all of our experiences are different, but I do know that the more that when I run it, I have players who are very experienced. I am sure they know what I'm doing. I am sure they, they read my stuff. They've seen my work. They know what's going on. They know they can tell things are getting made up on the fly and they like it. They enjoy it. In many cases, they love it. I don't, I think it's very rare where I've seen circumstances where the players haven't enjoyed that kind of idea. So one of the other ways that I do this is the movable key and the movable key. I've talked about this before. The idea behind a movable key is let's say you look at the room between 17 and 18 on that map and you say, I don't want, or 16, right? The doorway is on 16 and you say that that door is sealed. You can't just walk up and open it. And on, only one person can open that door. And that's Selfa, the first herald of the fourth empire. You're going to have to find Selfa. Selfa has now become a key. In order to get that door open, you have to somehow use or convince Selfa to open the door. She has the key. She could be anywhere. I could put her in room 43. I could put her in room 21. I could put her anywhere I want on this map. And I get to, de I get to decide where she shows up and when based on the pacing of the game. So should she be in 43? It would make sense. And if they head in that direction, 43 might make sense. And if I decide, yeah, they're cutting through a lot of content really quickly and going all the way to room 43 wouldn't be so bad. I can let them do that. So I can, if I can decide where I want them, where I want this key to be. And then the pacing of the game can tell me where it shows up. Now, if you find that concept uncomfortable, that's okay. You don't have to do it that way. If you said, no, the key is in room 43 in order to get through the door in 16, they have to go to room 43, but you might find that like they're crawling through that dungeon a lot and you're taking a lot of time. You wish it didn't take. And it's like, I could just move the key to room 14. I could move the key to room 31 and it's on the way. Or guess what? The door's already open and she's inside it. I could do that too. Now, part of it makes sense that she moves. She might not just exist. I'm, I'm thinking, I, I like the idea that she might only exist in one chamber, but it might be kind of cool if she is in room 18. So maybe the door is just wide open. Maybe they have enough encounters on the way. And I feel like, yeah, the time is tight. I want to move the story along. I could just have her in room 18. So think about it. Think about it for you. How do you feel about it? And you can leave me a comment on YouTube. I, I, I like comments. Be civil. Remember that your way is not the right way. My way is not the right way. There are many right ways. There are many good ways to do this, but we can all learn from each other. And I guess the question is like where, in my experience, the disadvantages of having this flexible structure where you can kind of improvise a lot of the story, the advantages of it far outweigh the disadvantages. The disadvantages are that sometimes the world doesn't feel as solid as it should, that it might feel more solid if you really planned everything out and only worked that way. I don't mind. And I don't think my players mind. I'm kind of a loosey-goosey GM. What are some other potential features of this chamber? I know my, I can't get my, my screen exactly right where I can see both the map and it. So if we look at other things, so we have like, you know, I always like, what's the equivalent of a supply closet? So there's a power source. What's the power source for this thing? It could be a massive, let's see, massive otherworldly crystal from the outside 
drawing power. Massive other otherworldly crystal drawing power from the outside. So we have a literal crystalline construct that's drawing energy from the outside and powering this thing. And it could be highly toxic and maybe protected by outsider guardians. That's pretty cool. We definitely want a power, a power, a power supply somewhere. And maybe they have to disrupt that in order to shut this thing down. Or maybe that's one of the ways they could shut this thing down. What other kinds of things? So we look at all those like chambers, like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, down in that lower left. What are the kinds of things that might exist in those chambers? You know, they look kind of like libraries. They look, I mean, if, if the characters go through one and they're like, ooh, we found a, like a secret place that takes us down there. What are, you know, what are some of the other what is the equivalent of this chamber's supply closet or custodian's closet? You know, it could be like strange organic tentacles that self-repair the facility. That's how it's lasted for so many millions of years. Right. So what, you know, you think about this place and like, how has this place managed to operate? How does it manage to stay in operating order? Well, what if there's like writhing tendrils through the walls and around it and the tendrils are like algae that sort of clean the place and keep it solid and make sure that the rock doesn't collapse and make sure that fills in cracks and then hardens into cement. It could be nano, nano driven, strange nano driven. So it could be a nanites that, that kind of keep the place working but even that would break down over millions of years so maybe it doesn't work quite right what other any other set i don't even know how many i've got here let's let's number these and find out turn into numbers i have 11 i'll do a couple more a 12 would give me a d12's worth so we got those like octagonal chambers like 29 and 25 what would what would what could kind of be in there? A nest, like we could have a nest to some half cybernetic under underwater horror of the deep. That works. So I think like the supply closet sort of idea works. And that you kind of show that once and then you could say like these other chambers have this sort of behind the scenes are these woven tentacles of nano nanofibery sort of things that can weave into the walls and fix things and sort of keep the keep this whole place running. What else would you need to run? A Virtus would be cool. They could have like a really old, really ancient data sphere Virtus. And what would that be shaped like in the other world? What kind of what would it look like if you were a 400 billion or 400 million year old data sphere Virtus, what would you look like? It could be that pyramid. I've done pyramids now a couple of times. I don't want to do that. A, flu a fluid shaped would be cool. Yeah, kind of a writhing pillar, right? A fluid black pillar, infinitely high and deep. So it just stretches up into the sky, like, you know. And maybe like a die and deep that that rise into a circular portal to the outside. And maybe this data sphere for this can actually reach. Well, if I do that, they're going to inject the hex into it right away. But maybe they do. The uh, the data sphere Virtus reaches into 
the outside. That's cool. Any other sort of locations for this? Any other things you want to fill out? The nice thing is that I'm essentially filling out two sessions worth of stuff. I'm going to get a lot of value out of this. I haven't even got into like who's here and the NPCs and other creatures that they might find here. We'll worry about that next week, I think. Right now, it's just kind of wanting to fill this place out, which takes a little bit of time. When you're, when you're filling out a location like this, even if you're not doing it room by room, I also got to get rid of these numbers because it's going to confuse me if I look at it and go, wait, these numbers are not for those chambers because they're not. They don't line up. The reality is I don't even need this annotation. You know what we're going to do? We're just going to delete that. Bang. Look at that. Look at that. I did all that work this morning. I threw it away. What do you think of that? You know why? It doesn't serve me. What other, what other stuff do we have in here? Any other, any other chambers? We have an armory. Could have a barracks, right? For a barracks for Cleite warriors, guards. And they're offline, right? That'd be cool. They're all like connected through tubes, very H.R. Giger style, like connected to the walls, kind of stuck in there. These sort of like, you know, probably armored crustacean style creatures, like insectoid things. That would be, that would be pretty good. What else? So this whole place just operates on this idea that it blocks the data sphere. We, the idea that there's a vertus in here, that works really well. Anything else that would connect? That's probably pretty good. I think we're, I think we're good. I think I'm happy. We'll turn these all back into bullets. What is that? 12, 13, 14. That's 14 different places. Thank, who knows? Next week, we might come up with some more, some more thoughts. But I think for now, and we can get rid of the map key because I don't have a map anymore. Bye-bye. General concepts. General concepts is better than things. This, by the way, this map I got from Dyson Logos. This is the actual file. What is it called? He, he, he called it something. Deskpad Dungeon is the name of it. And you can go find it over at Dyson Logos. DysonLogos.blog, I think it is. Really, he, he's, he's the best. The, his maps are just great. So I think that is, I think I've, we've done some good work here today. Like I don't, I, I, I have a session prep note. I don't even think I linked to the location. I did. The shield below is the main, the main location we're going to do. And next week, we'll fill a lot of this other stuff out. We'll fill out the strong start. We'll fill out secrets, clues, and monsters, and treasure. And we'll do all that sort of work. But today, I, because I had this extra week, it gave me an opportunity to really kind of fill out. Well, that's not the Coral Cathedral. That's not what I wanted. Uh, to fill out the shield below to get to get this kind of stuff. So I hope the show is useful. I hope you enjoyed enjoyed your time here. If you did, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter where you get a weekly D&D related article sent directly to your inbox along with a free adventure generator PDF. You can support me directly on Patreon where you get access to all kinds of exclusive material, guides to help you run your games, adventures, city source books, a monthly question and answer thread and access to a dedicated Discord channel Channel. You can subscribe to my videos right here on YouTube. And of course, you can pick up any of my books available in the Sly Flourish bookstore. The links for all of that are in the show notes below. So thank you very much. Have a great day and get up there and play a role-playing game.